Let's pick up uh, 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to be dealing with 9 through 11, but let's just get the flow. Chapter 5, here we come from the cross, and a man identified with that message, the highlands of the book. And then chapter 5, how can you be in the midst of preaching the cross and people sleeping with their stepmother? You talk about bringing you down to reality real quick. And I didn't write the book, by the way. The same man that said, I preach Christ in chapter 1, wrote chapter 5. Amen? This is the Word of God. We don't get to invent the message if you're a Bible book preacher. That's why guys don't want to do it. They, They don't have the guts. But we deal with the subjects as they come up. And so then he goes into chapter 6. And for eight verses, he says, how in the world can it be that you people who have been redeemed out of such a life of sin are now wasting your time suing one another and dragging each other into court? Christians could never do that, could they? That's supposed to, but they do. And they were suing one another before pagan judges while at the same time saying, come visit our church. We'd like to tell you about Jesus. Said, well, I get sued. You might. Think of it, the contradiction. So he uh, said, you ought to rather be cheated and let people do you wrong rather than take them to court if they're a brother or sister. Now, it's not right for a brother or sister to cheat you or do you wrong, but don't drag them into court. That's what he's saying. Now, he, he comes into this other matter coming right off of that because this is wickedness he's dealing with. In chapter 5, a brother living in gross immorality. This is wicked. Saints suing one another over trivial matters, small stuff. Then he says, verse 9, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you uh, have been cleansed in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Notice several categories in the Bible where God gets explicit about the kinds of stuff he saves us out of. Look at Romans 1. This is the shocker, Liz. Cinerama. He he deals with uh, them giving up God. He gives them over to gross immorality. Uh, He takes on even in verse 26, not only homosexual behavior, but lesbians in verse 26. Uh, Men have been given up to vile lust. Then he hits the summary in 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. 
They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. There is at least 30 sins he names specifically. Look at Galatians 5, almost the same kind of language as in Corinthians 5.19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. The list is not exhausted. And the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this are born again believers. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look at 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. Just for us Californians, it's just like reading the newspaper every day, so there's no shock effect. You read this every day. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Have you ever heard that? Love yourself. Spend your children's inheritance. Lovers of money. Boastful, proud, abusive disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Uh, It's sort of like what's happening here is it's like a good news, bad news joke. And God's telling you the bad news. The bad news is unrighteous people aren't going to heaven. Is that true? Um, today, we don't use a lot of this language because we're more psychologically attuned than biblically attuned. God just calls it what it is. And... Uh, he uses these broad categories. These, and when he said the list, 10 sins that he names to the Corinthians, he's naming probably the top 10 prevalent sins in the Corinthian culture. Uh, and, and they're not saying ooh or ah about any of them. That's just what, the way he found them when he came to town. This was their lifestyle. And there was no guilt about it. It was acceptable behavior. But he's making this statement, hey, you guys better get your act together because the unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, hear me. All of us people that say we preach the gospel in grace, you can't offer much grace until you first indict your audience. You don't come to God to help God out. 
God doesn't need you. You come because you're guilty. And, and you know, we, I was just reading a treatise by Al Mohler on the cultural wars, and he had a whole chapter dealing with the offended society. And he takes the story of the man that said something about the Muslims and about Muhammad and had to go into hiding for his life because we, we dare not offend. And he says, in a free speech government and democracy, how can we be people of diverse opinion and not offend the other one by our view? Is it we don't have a view? We can't have an opinion? Oh, we've got an opinion, and we've got more than an opinion. We've got a word from God. Now, let's say it like we're not wishing the people go to hell. Let's just say what God says, but you can never have an interchange among various views, cultures, and this biblical viewpoint, no matter where we are in the world, no matter where we've been in 2,000 years, the Bible is always counterculture to what people are doing. So they find it an affront. We don't want to be obnoxious. If your breath stinks, you ought to get some mints. And if you don't wear deodorant, I'll recommend some. That you can correct, but you can't correct truth. You're not called to edit for God. Let God say what he wants to say, right? Uh, Well, you're acting this way because you're paid to be uh, Bible Christians. No, 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 this is what you really are if you believe the Bible's right. Now, he specifically names 10 sins. And I want to be sure your dictionary agrees with God. So let's just get a brief uh, knowledge here. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6. And he specifically starts telling them, no doubt, this is what I saw when I came to town. But I want to tell you, this category of people cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Number one, uh, Sexually immoral. It's the word fornicators. What's fornicators? Any unmarried person engaging in sexual activity outside of being married. That's sex for the single. Sex for those that aren't married. Uh, As we'll look on our sex seminar, sex was intended for one place, and that was in the confounds of a marriage. And so fornicators, sex, don't need to get married. Once Corinthians, now Californians. Uh, I uh, have been amazed through the years. Uh, I, 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 I hope you're not planning to get married. I seldom talk to people in, today that want to get married that aren't sleeping together. Because uh, sex is like a goodnight kiss. In our culture, it's a part of the date. If you don't put out, I don't date. I used to say, give me a big smack, I'll buy you a Big Mac. But it's changed. It's just sex is assumed. A kiss was something, and it's just assumed. Uh, Our only concern is that you have condoms. That's the parental thing. Not that you won't. We assume that you will. So this is the culture we live in. And Pastor Rollins one time told me a lot of people were getting shocked about this or that, different things. He said, you know what? He said, as I see it, our culture has gone full. uh, You know, we always say Christian America. We've gone full circle, and we're right back to the world of the New Testament. This is the New Testament world we live in. Right? 
Ephesus, they worship sex. Corinth. And so, hey, we're right to be preaching the gospel because the gospel can take on sin, right? All right. It goes on. Idolaters. Well, we, none of us are idolaters. Because if you think it's just to worship the image, you know, the image is not evil. Something carved in a piece of wood or whatever that they bow to, that wasn't evil. But idolatry, I would put before you, is something good that's been raised to the ultimate in your life. Money's good. Uh, Try to live without it. Money is a good thing, but you can elevate it to the place of being your God. Uh, your status is based upon it. I got to have it. I'll sacrifice principle to have it. So a good thing raised to the ultimate thing becomes your idol. Uh, sex is good when it's done the way God designed it. But sex elevated, I, that's my meaning. Uh, I, it's a way I establish power. Uh, hey, you've taken a good thing that God cre- and you've elevated it to the status of an idol. And we all deal with idolatry. It's our hidden sin. Covetousness, strong longing. The old King James says inordinate affections. Affections for something up and above will make me sad. I got to have a man. I see so many battered women. I got to have a man. Well, no, no, you've got to have God. And when you have God, you won't be a slave to relationships to men. He's the one that can set you free from being a slave to men. But I'm just not happy unless I have a man. Your happiness must come to rest in your God or else you're into idolatry. So it has many forms. Then he said adulterers, uh, sex by married people outside the marriage. I'm saying this basic stuff because Californians don't know how to define this anymore. Because all the lines are, uh, but I think this is what God meant. I want you to get God's dictionary. Uh, sex outside of marriage uh, by married people that are going elsewhere. The, the affair, the, the gal on the side, the mistress on the side, adultery. Uh, now, this was all fundamental if you were a Jew. They grew up on the Old Testament. But these pagans didn't grow up with any morality. They, they, didn't, they don't know these boundaries. If they're Jewish, they knew. But as pagans, there were no lines. Do whatever you want. Uh, then he comes to this word, uh, male prostitutes. Old King James says effeminate. What is effeminate? Well, it comes from the word for soft. That was its literal uh, derivation. But what it came to be used of was the passive partner in homosexuality, the, the person who played the female role and was passive. And it was the role, uh, the most common homosexuality in the Greco-Roman world were young boys being sold as sex objects to older men. And so the passive partner in this relationship was considered effeminate, a male prostitute. Of course, homosexuality was the uh, dominant person in the uh, act. And uh, homosexuality, when you come to it in the scriptures, nobody at Corinth would have said, nobody would have been shocked by that. You know why? 
14 of the 15 emperors of Rome were homosexual. 14. <clears throat> the man that's going to have Paul beheaded was a homosexual. Uh, Socrates was a homosexual. Plato, his great symposium on love was about homosexual love, not married love. Uh, Nero uh, had a boy named Sporus, had him castrated and turned him into his physical male lover while being married to a woman, but he had the boy. And when he died, he passed on this boy to the next emperor of Rome. So the culture was permeated. How would you feel if our president and our governor were of this sexual orientation? See, so the Corinthians, this is it's just a way of life. And uh, it's people who, uh, like I've told you before, when I meet people, if I'm in a Midwestern state and I tell them where I'm from, they kind of do a double look at me because we're known for this kind of behavior here. Well, it's all over the country. And uh, we're not told to be homophobic. We're told to give them the gospel because part of the people in this church, this was the category Paul found them in, and he wasn't shocked. That was the Greek world. That's the way they lived. So then he says, uh, there was thieves, but I found you. And uh, people who by force would take what they wanted from you. That's, that's a thief. Um, they were greedy. These were people that were always scheming to get more. They weren't content. Drunkards. Now, that's interesting. Every culture that the Bible addresses was a wine-drinking culture. There was no such thing as non-wine drinkers in any of the cultures addressed. In the, they all drank wine. The Jews drank wine. The Greeks uh, drank wine. Uh, Barclay says that the wine was two-thirds wine, one-third water. That was the everyday wine. They didn't drink Jack Daniels. I hadn't discovered that yet. Wine ain't Jack. Now, when you drink Jack, honey, you're not just saying, let's have a son. No, you're going to be soused. It's designed to put you out of your misery. I know. I drank it unmixed at 14, and it stopped my, stunted my growth in puberty. This one drink killed me nearly. It had a way of curing me. Drank it unbroken down, honey, and you won't have to worry about hair on your chest. It'll die. <laughs> He's talking to people who were wine drinkers, and you had to have a lot of it to get drunk. The prohibition, you know, Christians just fighting over, can I have a social class, can I? That never, that is always just allowed. It was a part of their culture in all the churches. The issue is don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. Um, slanderers, uh, people whose mouths kill reputations and kill people's influence. Uh, it's the same as a liar. A slanderer is talking you down, abusive uh, conversations about you, and they kill a man's character. It's a terrible thing to be slandered. You know what? Uh, I know you cheated. I know you're running around with another woman. I'm going to tell everybody I see. Wait, wait, wait. You just killed my reputation. 
You don't kill reputations, do you? Yeah, a slanderer does. And and what's National Enquirer built on? Slander. And when you go through the line, you say, what have they come up with now? And it just thrives because we love dirt on people. We have an appetite for it. So slanders, swindlers, swindlers are not outright thieves. They're more like Madoff and a Ponzi scheme. They're white-collar criminals. You know, I'm going to swindle you out of your money, but I want to wear a tie and look good. I won't look like a thug. I'm slick. But they're in that category. And he says, none of this category. If you're practicing these kinds of sin, I'm sorry you're not inheriting the kingdom of heaven. And you ought to say, well, there's no hope for me then. Because I've done most all of this, let's say. The Corinthians would for sure say it. I've been immoral since my youth. Um, Maybe a drunkard. Maybe a homosexual. uh, Maybe an adulterer. My, my emperor's doing it. My leaders are doing it. Everybody's doing it. What's the big deal? God said, you know what? If you're doing these kinds of things, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. But notice what he said. You got to get this. And that is what some of you, uh, what, what help me out on language is that, shouldn't it be you are? Why could they say were? What, past tense? You mean this is what they were? Not what they are. Is that fair? So that's good news. The church at Corinth was loaded with former people who weren't going to heaven, and now they've been delivered from the category of sins that was damning their soul. And you were that. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What in the world is he saying? Uh, He's going to bring you from disgrace to grace through three things. I'm going to wash you, I'm going to sanctify you, I'm going to justify you, and I'm going to do it all through Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. And that is our story. Doesn't matter. We may have missed you on the list of 10, but honey, you're a sinner. You've, you've done, we, we, I just thought today for entertainment we could have everybody write down your top 10 sins you've done and just put on the PowerPoint. And if you're not admitting that, then we know you're a publican dying in self-righteousness and you're sure enough lost. Because we're all great sinners. God doesn't save anybody that's not a sinner. All we have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? But I'm not everything I want to be, but I thank God I'm not what I used to be. I'm not everything I want to be, but I'm not what I used to be. And why is there a used to in this? God saves people. 
God changed. And I, I don't want to knock on it too much, but, I, I, you know, if you get in the 12-step program, one of the common mantras you have to say is, I am a alcoholic. And they do it. Uh, I, I, I don't fault the, their, they're not being theological. Their motive is I always have to admit my problem uh, or I wouldn't be here. I couldn't get free from this. So I don't want to be putting down people that have been helped. Now, I'll leave that alone. But theologically, when we come to the Bible, you can get up and say, I was an alcoholic. I am no longer one. I was a fornicator. I am not now. Why? Because of three things. God regenerates you. God sanctifies you. And God justifies you. What's this word he uses? Wars. It's the word he uses in Titus 3 to speak of when you're born again. And he uses the word born again. He uh, uses the word quicken, made alive. Regeneration, given new life. New life is generated in you. And when you come to Christ, you will be born of the Spirit and of water, he said in John 3. And that water is coming right from Ezekiel's description of what God would do when he regenerated Israel and when he restored them in their covenant blessing. I will wash you with, I will wash away your sin. You can hear David say, wash me with hyssop. Just some kind of a plant that they would apply the blood figuratively. Cleanse my heart from this adultery I've done with Bathsheba. Cleanse me. And one of the great things that happens to people that are born again by the Spirit, they say, thank God Almighty, I'm clean. I'm clean before God. The work of Christ has been applied to my soul, to my heart, and I was a covetous thief. I was a, a womanizer. I was scheming on women. I couldn't look at a woman without lust. I, could, I was a slave to a thousand different sins. And when I put faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God put a new principle, a new heart in me so that I'm no longer dominated by the appetites I had in sin. I still have a sin principle in me, but it's not reigning over me. It remains in me, but it doesn't reign over me. I know you got to know that. The Bible says when you get saved, when you come to Christ, he infuses the Holy Spirit in you. He indwells you, and a new heart is given. So I have new appetites to do the right. I want to do the right. I want to read the Bible. I, I want to stay clean. I want to treat the opposite sex right. Where did you get that? I got it when he washed my heart through the work of Christ and applied by the Holy Spirit. This is what born-again people look like. That's why we're not afraid to go to any place, any prison, uh, any brothel, any neighborhood, and bring this gospel. Because when Paul came to town, you were all in one of these categories. Most likely, I preached the gospel, and this gospel worked in your heart, and God washed you. He made you his own. And the washing was in the blood of Christ. Now, the blood of Christ, I keep telling you, what does that mean? I was washed 
in the benefits of the violent death of Christ under the wrath of God, not in blood plasma. He didn't wash me in blood plasma. He took the work of the cross and applied it like soap and water and a washcloth to my dirty, leprous heart. And he applied the work of the cross so that when he got through with me, Paul said he's going to present the church without spot, without blemish, because they've been cleansed by the word, cleansed by the blood and work of Christ. You're clean before God. Clean. I've done Weddings for very promiscuous people. And I've often talked to them who have slept around ever since they were 12 years old. And I've had them say, I feel like I'm coming to my wedding night like a virgin. Oh, really? Why? I'm clean. I've been restored. Everything I threw away as a boy or a girl. Since I met Christ, he's restored wholeness, purity, uh, beauty, good. I no longer see women as lust objects, but as precious people. I no longer see men as sex objects. I've been made clean like a leper. And I want to say, I'm clean, I'm clean because of the work of Christ on the cross. And besides that, God sanctified them. He said that in chapter 1. Now, they weren't living very holy, but when God saved you, he set you apart for his use. And when you misbehave, the spirit is going to grieve in you. Said, this is not why you're living any longer. I spared you, saved you for my use. And he's going to tell them in the end of the chapter, your body is mine. I care who you sleep with. And I care what you do with sex because my purchasing power bought your body. You're set apart as a divine tool, sanctified. We don't look too sanctified sometimes. So I grew up with Pentecostals. They'd say like this sometimes, I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and I'm going through. Anybody ever hear that? Folks, I'm going to a saved and sanctified church. What's that? You California young people, you don't even know what sanctified is. But holiness people, I'm saved and sanctified. They are. I got a lot of growth in sanctification, but I was sanctified the moment I got saved. Peter said, you were sanctified through the work of the Spirit. He said in Hebrews 13, 10, you were sanctified through the death of Christ on the cross. Did you know you Belong for God's use. You're set apart. You have been brought into sacred employment. You're sanctified in Christ. Positional. And then he says you've been justified. You've never heard me say that word before, have you? Because I've never preached Romans here. I've never preached Galatians here. I'm not a fanatic about it. Justified. What is that? Declared righteous before God based upon the imputed righteousness of Christ. Luther said, I have a righteousness not my own. It's alien to me, but God put it to my account. A righteousness not my own. Listen to Paul in Philippians 3.9. He said, I was blameless before the law, 
But I came to have a righteousness not my own, but the righteousness which is by faith, the righteousness even of Christ Jesus. I'm declared right before God. That is the whole theme. When Luther fell on this, Romans 1, 17, my just one shall live by faith. He said, and he said, there is a righteousness in the gospel being offered that is not offered by law keeping. He said, it became the gateway to heaven to me because I found out I couldn't be holy enough as an Augustinian Catholic monk to ever merit heaven. But I found out faith alone in Christ alone gave me a status before God that I'm forever accepted, not because of good works, not because of a confessional booth, not because of sacraments, but because of the work of Christ applied to me. He made him to be my sin, that I might be made his righteousness. I've got the righteousness of Christ, and so do you, if you've been born again. See, if I was in the shouting church, see, these folks only been saved about four years. They don't know not to amen. The rest of you got bored with it. This is a shouting sermon, but I know you conservatives don't shout. But this is something to shout about, sing about. This is why you're going to heaven, honey. No matter what category you've been in, this is why we're going to heaven. Right here. Saved, born again, washed, justified. So don't have to tell me all the sins I've done. Don't have to tell me all the places I've been. My brother David I was preaching Romans one morning. He came up to me and he said this. Keep preaching to me the grace of God for any Sunday I'm liable to be buried in guilt by my past. Keep telling me you don't know what he's been through. I do. You don't know how many bars he's been in. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the broken path. You don't know how many this, how much that. Keep telling me of the grace of God, lest guilt bury me. And there's a man who said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like this guy. Surely a fornicator, a homosexual, a thief for sure. He's a tax collector. Let me tell you our problem in the church. We know homosexuality is sin, but we must be sure we don't, aren't willing to welcome a homosexual here for the sake of the gospel. We let you in. Get over it. Do you think a thief could be saved? And and I'm tired of in the church acting like, well, God doesn't save this category. Oh, he did at Corinth. I didn't say accept them to run the church and as preachers and members. I'm saying they're worthy to hear the gospel. They need to hear the gospel that can wash them, that can sanctify them and justify them just like any other category, right? And some folks say, well, it's genetic. Yeah, we've all got a genetic problem. We're related to Adam. And if you're related to Adam, honey, you're going to bust out in sin some way. Doesn't matter what category. There's no category that's unsavable. 
because of the work of Christ. So let's love them to the cross without endorsing them. It's like the thief. We sure love your soul, but while you're talking to them, hold your wallet. You know, I ain't going to be stupid here. I love you, honey, but don't mess. While I give you the gospel. You know what? I wear my wallet here. You know why? I went to the Sistine Chapel, and all the pickpockets work the Sistine Chapel. Are you looking up? Look at Mickey, Michelangelo. And, and they say, you look at him. And I, look at the hand stretched out. While you look at that hand stretched out, that thief is stretching out his hand right in your pocket. And, and, and you go out broke. So I learned to put my wallet in the front. And there's some of you people, I know your background, so I carry my wallet in the front. I'm suspicious of you. But I think you've been saved, kind of. But in case you're tempted, I still want to have my wallet right there. See? You just want to be careful. Listen to what John Newton, he wrote his own obituary. And this is engraved on his epitaph. John Newton, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. His last words on his deathbed were, I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. I just heard a moving song yesterday. It went, the refrain went this way. You loved me before I loved you. You found me before I found you. You sought me before I sought you. Jesus, you truly care for me. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us that he might bring the ungodly, the wicked, and the God-hating to himself. That is why I can't understand us not sharing the gospel as much as we can, as loud as we can. The only thing that can change people in this culture is the gospel, only the gospel, and you're the bearers of it. We're going to have our choir come and sing, and while they do, I request it than to do what we're doing, one of our events, to give you a sense of the kind of people that are in this church, where we've come from. And I want us, before we take communion, hear them sing to us as different people silently will tell you what they were and what they've become. Yes, and if we would have our brothers come, we could distribute the elements while they're singing at a redeemed time.
What love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called His sons and daughters, precious in His sight. Greater love the world has never seen. When He hung on that tree. Such a thing for dirty sinners like you and me. Oh God, thank you for loving me. When on the cross you made history, Lord, you died for me forever. My praise will go to. You made his 
Before you, we're going to have Rich and Dave pray. But right there, what this represents is the divine soap that washed you. It was the death of Christ, the only detergent that can wash away the old life. Right there. That's why you can't take it too much. Do you remember what you were when he found you? Sometimes it's good to look back, not to get depressed, not to uh, heap guilt, but say, I was in a horrible pit, and the Lord dug me out. And you know what? He didn't throw a rope over the balcony of heaven and say, hang on. He himself came into the pit, and he found you. And he picked you up like the shepherd picks up the sheep. And this was the price. This is the rope of the love of God, Pastor Rich. Let's stand.